One of the most basic teachings, most important teachings the Buddha gave, really a teaching that kind of summed up in many ways uh, his teaching is the teaching on the five faculties, sometimes known as the five strengths. And he really speaks about you know, the five elemental aspects of our practice, conviction, persistence, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment. You know, and as always, when the Buddha gives a teaching, uh, like this, uh, he doesn't posit these faculties, factors of the path in an arbitrary way. There's a causal relationship, a causal relationship. So uh, the development of conviction leads to persistence. We have conviction, we make effort. We make effort in the service of practicing mindfulness. Mindfulness is really the key skill in our practice. It's the most important skill, uh, mindfulness. Beginning, of course, first and foremost, with mindfulness of the breath, mindfulness of the body. So we have conviction. We make effort in the service of mindfulness. First and foremost, mindfulness of the breath, mindfulness of the body, and that leads to concentration, jhana. And jhana, the Buddha's concentration, leads to wisdom. Wisdom leads, of course, to the end of suffering. So when we develop wisdom and come to know the end of suffering, then we actually have more conviction to practice even more. Or as Tan Jeff likes to say, it's a causal loop. It's a causal loop. So it just loops right back into more conviction and more effort, more persistence. But it's really important to note that it really begins, that whole causal process begins with conviction. Begins with conviction. So, you know, if we, if our path is going to develop, uh, you know, we can make a lot of, we could try to make effort, but if that effort isn't informed by conviction, it won't be the kind of effort that we need to make in order to develop the path. So conviction is key, it's essential. It's really what drives the effort that we make to practice mindfulness, to develop concentration and wisdom. When we have conviction, we develop the other faculties. Without it, we're not going to develop them to the extent that we want to develop them. We're not going to make the effort. We're not going to make the effort. Of course, you know, we all have conviction, so it's all. It's we all have conviction, so it's something that we're we're developing even more and more and more, in the service of that causal loop. We all uh, have conviction. We all make effort. We practice mindfulness. Uh, you made the effort to be here on this retreat. I mean, that's a real uh, profound and noble effort. Uh, you know, most of you probably didn't come here on a whim. You came here because you have belief in this practice. You have conviction in this practice. You have conviction in your own capacity to follow this practice and conviction in your own capacity to know the fruits of this practice. I mean, that's why you're here. We might not realize that quite. So part of understanding and working with this teaching is take these five elements and 
can I develop them? You know, conviction is something that you have. Uh, what you want to do is develop that conviction. So if you know that you have it, then you know that you have something to develop. It's like if an artist knows that they have skill in music or painting or whatever, they'll develop that skill. They know they have that. You have conviction. You have conviction. Dare I say, you know, not many people have the level of conviction that you have. Because not many people make this kind of effort. The Buddha said that just as a royal frontier fortress has a foundation post, deeply rooted, well embedded, immovable and unshakable for the protection of those within and to ward off those without, in the same way a disciple of the noble ones has conviction. So, you know, we have conviction, but dare I say, we also have doubt, too. Uh, so one of the things that, you know, we wanted, we're developing our conviction in being here, and we can kind of be more direct and more explicit in doing that, uh, but a big part of developing conviction is uh, alleviating doubt, is alleviating doubt. Uh, so... Uh, something to really watch and pay attention to in our practice, on retreat. On retreat. Uh, is there doubt? Is there doubt? I mean, it's something that we really want to pay attention to a lot in our practice because we want to develop conviction. Because that'll lead to effort and mindfulness and concentration and discernment and freedom. So it's something that, you know, here in this week of practice, we want to uh, be heedful of. All of these qualities develop through heedfulness. So we have to be heedful. Is there doubt? Oftentimes when there's difficulty in our practice uh, and on retreat, and all of these things are sort of like, you take your, this idea of your practice and on a retreat like this, it's, they're magnified. You know, they're magnified like some of the things that you may have seen coming up in the mind. It's like, take the stuff that's usually coming up in your mind and take a big magnifying glass and put it on it. It's kind of like when we were kids, we'd hold that magnifying glass to the paper in the sun and it would burn up. It can kind of maybe sort of what can happen. So when there's difficulty, when they're uh, uh, in our practice, when there's difficulty in our practice, uh, we often don't like that. We often don't like that. I might even want to change that qualifier from often to most often. You know? Generally, we don't like it when there's hindrances, when things get in the way of uh, our practice, when we face uh, obstacles, when we face qualities of mind get in our way and they're unpleasant and they getting in our way in terms of getting to where we want to get to, uh, these hindrances arise in particular, just as people talked about in the group today, dullness and restlessness, dullness and restlessness. You know, take those hindrances like you experience every day, put a magnifying glass on them and that's 
the way that you experience them on retreat. Good thing is, you get to know your hindrances really well. So hindrances arise when we practice. These are hindrances to developing concentration. And we often, most often, much of the time, go into aversion. We don't like it. We don't like it. We don't like the fact that we just went into the deepest sleep of our lives for the whole 45 minutes sit. <laughs> we don't like it for the fact that the whole 45 minutes sit, we were going through the seating chart in our third grade class. <laughs> you know? Now that's when you know you have restlessness. You know, it's like you're just thinking about, the mind is just looking for anything to think about so you don't have to meditate. Anything. You know, people say, you know, this is really interesting. Like, all this stuff I haven't thought about in years has come up, and I'm thinking about people I knew in high school and somebody I dated, and, you know, and it's like, this is amazing. You know, it's just the mind is so ravenous for something to think about. It's just going in every nook and cranny to find a crumb, to find a morsel to feed on so that you don't have to meditate and be really present. That's just what the mind is doing. It's resisting pulling out all its stops. So the hindrances arise, and we don't like that. We go into aversion, and then we often go into doubt. It's like, all I'm doing is sleeping. This is really awful. This is terrible. I can't do this. This practice doesn't work. And doubt usually begins with, I can't do it. And then that kind of gets really painful. I can't do it. So we just shift it a little bit too. This practice doesn't work. This practice doesn't work. I should have gone on a different retreat, some other kind of a retreat. I mean, that's kind of like what you really do when, you, you know, when your conviction is, like when I was newer in this practice and I went on retreat, that was one of the ways my, my mind would go into doubt. It's like, this practice isn't any good. I should have done Zen. I should have done that yoga retreat. I should have done that Qigong. I should have, I should have went to the Bahamas, you know? It's like now I kind of know. I mean, I have enough conviction to know this is a pretty good practice, uh, and it works, and it works for me. But the mind will find other ways to doubt. So we go into doubt in ourselves, and we go into doubt in practice. So it's very important to see this. This is Mara making a visit. Somebody on one of our retreats years ago uh, coined, the the, coined the phrase or the uh, a way to label this phenomenon, this dynamic of hindrance, aversion, and doubt. Uh, she called it the triple arrow the triple arrow. Now, this doubt that comes up, uh, as I've just kind of alluded to, is uh, in many ways uh, Mara's first assault. It's the way Mara is, you know, these forces in the mind, the ways that we're defending against being present, all the forces in the mind that don't want us to do what we need to do to be happy. Uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, Mara got a, a notice, you know, last night. They're at Powell House. We better send somebody over there, you know? 
get out, get him over there in the morning for that first sit. What time's the first sit? You know, he's saying to his henchmen, let's get over there right away. I mean, this is, as we talked about in the groups, you know, the arising of the hindrances and then the doubt that may come up and oftentimes will come up. And I would say it pretty much always comes up if you're probably just maybe sometimes it's subtle. Uh, you know, these hindrances and the arising of doubt is an elemental part of the process, is an elemental part of the process. It's an elemental part of the process of the purification of doubt. That's what we should call these retreats. You know, the pure, this is a retreat for the purification of doubt. And we all kind of know that that's what retreats do on one level. Like you go to a retreat and then like this practice is so great, right? You're all psyched up. But it's this process of purifying doubt that we go through in our practice. You know, so it's a process that happens over time of purifying doubt. So seeing doubt, being heedful of it, not giving into it, coming to understand it is really important. It's really important. I mean, you know, the teachings talk about those four levels of awakening, beginning with stream entry. And one of the criteria, one of the marks of stream entry is that's when doubt is gone. At that point, you have complete conviction and then you just put everything that you have into the practice because you know completely. But up until that time, you have doubt on some level. So it's sort of a process of just kind of dredging, just dredging out that doubt, just dredging out that doubt. I remember a few years ago, I was at the monastery Wat Metta and, uh, you know, I mean, I, this is not that long ago, three or four or five years ago. And uh, I was there for quite a while. And just at some point, just doubt came up really strong. I just, I can't do this. Who am I kidding? I just can't do this. Look at these other people. Look at those monks. I, I can't do it. And it was really interesting for me because I thought I had, I thought I had beaten doubt. I did, thought I didn't have any doubt anymore. I was really good because I said, oh, you still have, you still have doubt. I could see, you know, I, I, for a minute I kind of got caught and then I just took that step back and it was like, oh, there's still doubt there. I was really good that that doubt came up and that I saw it. Just more sludge, you know, just more sludge, more purification to do. One of the great paradoxes of uh, the causal process that we go through in moving towards uh, discernment and freedom is uh, that conviction actually arises out of suffering. So there's a causal chain, the chain of the dependent origination of freedom from suffering. We often talk about dependent origination uh, that leads to suffering, but there's another chain that's the causal chain, the dependent origination, dependent co-arising that leads to the end of suffering. And uh, it begins with suffering. It begins with suffering. So in other words, the path of awakening begins with suffering. 
begins with suffering, really it begins with your suffering and you see it. You know, it begins, so, you know, there's suffering. That's good. That's right. The first, first noble truth. There's suffering. There's suffering and you see it. You know, there's some space there. That's, we talked about that a lot in the groups. And one of the things that I thought was really good was people were, you know, they, you know, to a large extent, people had some space from their suffering. I always talk about that shift. Uh, we talked about this in the group, uh, you know, that I look for. You know, people will come to, somebody will come to talk to me and, you know, they'll be talking about their job and they go, ah, oh, my job really is terrible. My boss is awful. Ah, oh, this is, you know, it's the worst, you know, and then, you know, that, that happens for like two or three years. And then one day the same person comes in and goes, lots of aversion is arising in the mind. <laughs> you know, I see that there's suffering in my mind. I see that I'm causing myself suffering by clinging to this aversion. That's when the path really takes off, when you make that shift. You see you're suffering, so it begins with that, but you see it. You see it as suffering. So that's kind of what we want to do here, right? Uh, most of you probably suffered a little bit today. You know? I mean, everybody suffered today. News bulletin. <laughs> everybody suffered today. You know? Everybody suffered today. Unless there's somebody here who's fully awakened, everybody suffered today. The only difference is, you know, the gradation of suffering. Some of it may have been blatant. A lot of it was probably subtle. Subtle clinging to anxiety or aversion or wanting. Everybody suffered. Everybody suffered today. What we want to start to learn to do is to be able to take a step back from it. That's one of the reasons why we come on retreat. So we have this space. Normally we don't have that luxury of being able to take back a step back from suffering because we're so busy you know, attending to all the things that we're suffering over you know, in our lives. So here, you know, you know, there's not a lot else to do except look at your mind. You know? That's why we're here, to look at your mind. So you know, to start to learn to be able to take a step back and again, that's what I thought was really good in the group, that people seem to be doing that. Oh, there's suffering. There is suffering. There is suffering. So kind of shifting from, uh, usually I say, ah, oh, the food sucks, but the food is so good, I can't use that. So we'll have to think of something else. Oh, the rain. Okay, the rain, oh, this is terrible, this is awful. I, you know, I'm here for a week and it's going to be the mud. Don't they, why, why isn't it better paved, you know? It's like, you know making, looking, and seeing, okay, they're suffering. They're suffering. You know, or I got to get this, I finally got to get some concentration in this meditation. Oh, I got to do it. I got to do it. I really, this is going to be the one. I, you know, okay, they're suffering. And it doesn't happen. It's like the next, they're suffering. So to be able to make that shift, to take a step back and see suffering. Because when you see suffering, with space, then you see there's another side to suffering. That it's not all of your experience. It's not all of your human experience suffering. It's just part of it. I always like what Sartre said. You know, life begins on the other side of despair. Despair has another side to it. You know, when you take a step back, you see stuff suffering and you take a step back and you're no longer fixated on the mud 
or you know your attainment or whatever and you take a step back and you see okay there's suffering and you see the whole picture you see okay well there's suffering oh and there's also non-suffering there's also a place where there isn't suffering there's also a place where there isn't suffering so we see that there's suffering and we see that there's the end of suffering we see that there's a way out of suffering get to that other place get to that other place. There's a way out of suffering. Sartre said, you know, we're all looking for a way out. We're all looking for a way out. We just can't see it because we're so mired in it. You know, we're so, our heads are so stuck in the suffering. The Buddha uh, lived really kind of in this place of ignorance as a young man shielded from the world and the truths of the world and the truths of life. And then one day, when he was 29 years old, he went out into the world, snuck out of the castle, and, uh, and he saw, of course, you know, somebody who was sick, somebody who was aging, somebody who was dying. And you know, he, he went into a, dis- a despair. He went into a despair. Life is meaningless. All of this stuff, the way that I'm living, is meaningless. I'm, you know, I have all these material things, and I have all this status, but given the fact that I'm going to die, it doesn't, I can see that it doesn't mean anything. And he had great despair about the way he was living. And then, of course, he saw the, the wandering forest contemplative. and said, oh, I think there's a way out. I think there's a way out of this life that seems meaningless. I'm going to see about that kind of life, living that kind of life. Is there a way out of this life that seems so meaningless? He kind of knew, right, on some level, something that he connected to inside of himself. You know, he, he wouldn't have spent all of the time that he spent, you know. I mean, he went through such trials to find a way out. You know, such trials to end suffering. Uh, I mean, extraordinary trials. But, you know, because he knew that there was a way out. He knew that there was an end, of suffer- to end, an end to suffering. He knew that there was a place of happiness. You know, and, I, and we, we know that. I mean, we know that. That understanding is in the heart. That understanding is in everybody's heart. You're very fortunate because you've connected to that understanding in a way that most people never do. You know, we know that life doesn't have to be meaningless. There's a way out of meaninglessness and suffering. You know, we know it in the heart that this is true. I mean, this is the truth. This is the Dharma. You know, we know the Dharma inside of us. You know, I, I love what Tanjev said. You know, we're striving to know the Dharma inside of us. Once you start knowing that Dharma inside of you, he says, you know, then the, then the path really becomes you know, so extraordinary. So, you know, that's what we're talking about, you know, knowing that truth inside of you, knowing that, you know, there is a way out of suffering. I mean, that not, it, it's just knowing what you know. It's knowing what you know inside, knowing what you already know, you know, turning to what's inside of you. I mean, you already know that. You wouldn't be here. It's, again, shining the light of your awareness on that and developing that. 
You know, you know this not intellectually, you know it in the heart on that transcendent level. But it's not ab- abstract, it's not conceptual, it's something that you know in the heart. Something that you know in the heart. There's a way out of suffering. Life doesn't have to be meaningless. See, it's like, you know, I'm not talking in huge abstracts, you know. You're in the dining room and, you know, you drop your bread on the floor, you know, and somebody comes along and kicks it, you know, and you go into like a whole thing, you know, oh, this is terrible, whatever, you know, and you see your suffering, and you, but you know, it's like, life doesn't have to be suffering. I don't have to be suffering right now. I could do something else other than going off into this story and this narrative. So we're not talking about you know, some place that you need to get to. We're talking about you're here. We're talking about what you need to do to connect into that under. And then you say, oh, yeah, it's true. I don't have to suffer over dropping the bread. I don't have to suffer over I miss that sitting. So we, we learn to shine the light of awareness on this knowing that there is a way out of suffering, knowing that we don't have to suffer, knowing that we have a choice. Any moment you have a choice. Big problem is that we forget that. that. You, know, you forget what you know. So you know, developing conviction is to remember what you know in the heart. When I was, uh, not quite a parallel to the Buddhist story, but when I was 35, uh, I was in a place in my life where, I mean, I was really, I had a lot of suffering in my life uh, on a lot of different levels. Part of it was uh, alcoholism and addiction and just a life that was spiraling down and down and down. Uh, But there was, and, and what happened at that point in my life was, you know, I wasn't practicing the Dharma or anything, but somehow I got to a place where I was just able to take a step back for a moment and realize that I was suffering. You know, it's like that moment of clarity. You know, just there was that moment of clarity, and it's like, I didn't know I was suffering. I thought everything was great. I thought everything was great. And there was that moment when I just, wow. There's so much suffering there. There's so much pain. You've gone to a place so far away from where you thought you were going to be in your life, where you thought you could be, so far away from the kind of happiness that you had hoped for yourself. Look at how much pain you're in. I I had no idea. I didn't realize it. But it's kind of like what we're talking about. You know, you're suffering over that little thing or that big thing here on the retreat, and you just don't realize that you're suffering. It's the same thing, you know, it's just a little microcosm of that, but it's the same thing. So I realized, you know, I I was able to get enough, just a little bit of space, and I saw that I was suffering, and, and it was an insight, I hadn't realized that. And then I remembered, you know, that life wasn't always like that, and... Uh, 
there's something else in life other than the suffering. You know, there's some kind of a happiness. There's a greater happiness. So once I saw where I was, I realized there was another place. But if you don't realize where you are, you don't realize that there's another place. I remembered that there was a transcendent happiness, a happiness that wasn't dependent on getting and being, which is where I was looking for happiness, of course. You know, there was a time when I knew that. There was a time in my life when I knew that there was a transcendent happiness. There was a happiness that transcended getting and being. Because most of us believe that's where happiness is. But there was a time in my life when I knew that there was some kind of greater happiness, a happiness inside, a happiness that wasn't dependent on conditioned things. You know, I knew that. I had that conviction. I had that conviction. That's conviction. You know? Just the way a child knows, right? A child knows, you know, when, when the child goes outside on a summer morning, you know, that there's happiness. There's a potential for happiness in the world. That there's, you know, and that's what the child is going to know. I'm going to experience happiness today, not like, you know, going to go make money or, you know, I'm going to get some prestige. No, I'm going to, nine years old, I want to, I'm just going to be, my objective is happiness and I know that it's there and I'm going to get on my bike and go find it. Of course, I had been a child. You know, when I was a child, I had known that happiness, certainly moments of that, that, that happiness. You know, those are the moments that we seek to uh, recall when we visualize ourselves as a child when we're doing metta practice, those moments of true happiness. When I was a young man, say in high school, teenager, I had a wish to know that happiness. I had a wish to be happy. I wasn't so concerned with money or prestige or, you know, whatever. It was like, I want to know that happiness. That's what I want in life. I want to be happy. Then, of course, you get into the world and, you know, you start wanting a whole bunch of other things that don't really have that much to do with a true happiness. And I forgot all about what I knew was possible and what I wanted, the wish that I had, the wish that I had. I forgot about my wish to be happy. And I forgot that I knew that that wish could be fulfilled. You know, it's like, it's like when, you, when we go live a life of uh, just getting and being, uh, we have no conviction, you know, we've lost conviction in a greater happiness. You know, that happiness that we knew at some point in our lives. We've lost faith in that, right? I can't have that. Well, let me do the best I can in this life. If I get a really good smartphone, you know, that's, that's a, you know, that's pretty good. It may not be true happiness, but that's probably the best I can do. <clears throat> but... The thing of it is, is we all have a wish in the heart for true happiness. We all have a wish in the heart for true happiness. I mean, that loss of faith and conviction is suffering. You know, when you lose your conviction and the true happiness, that's suffering. That's suffering. But in the heart, we have a wish, this wish to be happy. We know that this wish can be fulfilled. I mean, the heart wouldn't manifest a wish that couldn't be fulfilled. 
right? If, I mean, when you really, in the, in the heart, in the truth in the heart, the heart wouldn't manifest a wish to be happy. The heart wouldn't contain this wish to be happy that it said all of our hearts contained if it didn't think we could be happy. It wouldn't sell you a bill of goods. You think your heart would lead you down the primrose lane? It's the truth. It's the truth of the heart. It's not selling you a bill of goods. It's not a false promise. But that's kind of what we think. You know? You know, we kind of believe that life is meaningless. Life is unpleasant. I mean, that's kind of what we're believing in those little microcosmic moments on retreat when we're suffering, right? I mean, that little moment when that little thing happens, you know, that's just a little moment of the big story of life is meaninglessness. I can't do anything right. That, mo- that, time, that meditation when you just can't feel one breath and you go into that self-judgment and disappointment, you know, that's just a little microcosmic moment of life, a life of perceiving your human experience as being unsatisfactory and a disappointment. You know, we think that we can't be happy, that happiness isn't for me. So this is, we're really getting at the root of what conviction is, you know, belief in happiness, that you can be happy. You know, we believe that I can't find a way out of suffering. I mean, this is what the truth of the heart is. This is what conviction is. There is a way out of suffering. There is a way out of suffering. You know, the Buddha found this way. He found a path out of suffering. You know, he found a path across the river. He laid out that path, that map, that way out. Basically, what he did was gave us skills so that we could follow that map and follow that path. He lays out the path, but he also teaches us the skills that we need to follow the path. He just doesn't say, follow the path. These are the skills that you need. As he said, if you're going to go into the forest, don't go into the forest unless you have the skills to deal with the tigers and all those things that were in the forest teaches you those skills and then asks you to find your way out of happiness, your way out of suffering. So the Buddha gives us a way out, but we have to develop the skills. And conviction is there is a way out, there is a path, and there are skills that I can develop there's instructions that if I follow them, I'll be able to make my way along the path and find a way out. So conviction leads to developing skills. Practicing breath meditation. So we develop faith in the skills. We develop conviction in breath meditation as the primary skill that's going to enable us to find a way out. I mean, that's basically it. I mean, that's the primary, you know, it's mindfulness, mindfulness of the breath. So we develop conviction in breath meditation. I hate to say it, but conviction in the steps, directed thought and evaluation. 
And one of the ways this conviction manifests, something we don't talk about so much, I've certainly talked to Tan Jeff about it, uh, you know, the way this conviction manifests, you know, as conviction develops, as conviction in the skills and the instructions develop, the way that it manifests is we surrender to the map. We surrender to the path. We surrender to the instructions. We surrender to the instructions. You know, any great journey requires a surrender. Any great spiritual journey. You know, surrender of what? A surrender of the self, the self-identity. As they said in Christian teachings, you know, if you want to live your life, if you want to save your life, you have to lose your life. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. If you want to, if you lose your life, you'll save it. What does that mean? It's the same thing, right? Same thing in Buddhism, to lose the self. What does this mean? We give up our views and opinions, specifically around the teachings and the instructions for breath meditation. We give up our likes and dislikes. You know, this is, Tanjeff talks about this all the time. You know, sort of this, well, I like this part of the practice, but I don't like that part. That's lack of conviction in the path. And also lack of conviction in ourselves. And to me, it's lack of conviction in teachers, in the people that they're teaching, and probably in themselves also. When we surrender, we don't kind of give in to our preferences. I mean, just think about your experience today. You know, kind of like if you only did what you liked doing in the practice. But we're stubborn, right? You know, we don't like to surrender. It's kind of a, a Western thing. I once heard Ajahn Amaro talked about, he said, you know, one of the problems that we have as Westerners, you know, kind of very much talking about the same thing that Tan Jeff often talks about, is he says, you know, we're individual. We pride ourselves on being rugged individualists. I'll do it my way, right? He said, you know, maybe we can go from, I remember him giving this teaching, maybe we can go from being a rugged individualist to being ruggedly interdependent. (laughs) You know, one of the things that you learn in a 12-step program like AA is that, you know, if you want to get sober, you have to surrender completely. Everything is based on surrendering to what they tell you to do. Most, a lot of people don't want to do that. You know, they say you have to go to any lengths. Complete surrender. You know, people who are willing to surrender, they say, you know, if somebody comes up to me and says, go wash the floor with a toothbrush, I'll do it. Anybody want to volunteer for that as a yogi job? You know. We fight the process. We fight the process. And it's a hard process, right? Part of the way that we fight it is it's hard. The skill is hard. So we have to surrender to that. This is hard. You know? It's hard. Sometimes I think people expect it's going to be easy. It's hard. That's part of the surrender. This is going to be hard. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to keep trying. We have to surrender to the fact that it's hard. It's like one of my teachers, this is what you signed up for. This is going to be hard. 
And it's going to be a lot about purification of doubt, but we don't put that in the brochures. So we surrender to this being difficult. You know, I mean, we all kind of know this, right? You know, this is so hard. How many times did anybody say that today? Oh, it's so hard. I can't do it. Right? That's, That's suffering, right? What happens when you go... I'll just, this is hard. I'm just going to accept the fact that it's hard. All of a sudden, there's no suffering, right? You've just accepted things the way they are. This, this is the way it is. You've accepted the path. You've surrendered to the path. Now you're on the path. We all kind of know how that is. Another way that the teachings the Buddha talked about are difficulty in surrendering, he talked about practitioners, meditators who say, it's not working. This practice isn't working. It doesn't work. I'm not getting the results that I thought I would be getting. But when we look more closely, we see that we're not following the skills. The Buddha said it's like, you know, Turn, you know, squeezing the horns on a cow and expecting milk. It's like you're not going to get milk by squeezing the horns on the cow. You're going to get the milk by following the instructions. I mean, the way I kind of started to try to develop surrender was I said, I don't really want to do this, but you know what? Let me, I'm going to give it a try. I'll surrender to it for a few minutes. I'll surrender to it for you know, just this experience of the practice of meditate. Let me just try it, you know, and if it works, good. If not, I'll go back to doing what I was doing. You know what we always say, we'll refund your misery. Yeah. Let me try, then I can go back. Usually we, it's, we kind of surrender when, when, when we get to the point where it's like, we've got nothing to lose, you know, everything else is not worked. So conviction is conviction in the skill and our capacity to follow the skill versus conviction in a a deity or some kind of a religious experience. Conviction is the skill, and the skill being a way out of suffering. I mean, I work with this all the time in my life. You know, it's like this is good. You're doing something that's going to be different, difficult, right? Oh, I have the skills. I'll use the skills that I learned in the Dharma and I'll be able to get through this difficult experience. I mean, this is what we're asked to do, have conviction in these skills. You know, we develop the breath because we have conviction. We know that it's a way out. You know, we may say, well, it's too hard for me. This is just too hard. I'm going to pose something to you. I don't think it's that hard. I mean, there's times when it's difficult, but it's not so hard where everybody can't do it. Everybody can do it. It's not as hard as we kind of make it out to be. It's not as hard as we make it out to be. I know when I first started going to retreats and doing stuff like this, you know, I would go to, you know, whatever, 
uh, a class a day long, you know, and there'd be people in the lotus position, and you know, I swear people were levitating and everything, and I was like, I can't do any of this. Like, I'm a middle class guy, I grew up in the suburbs. I don't know where, you know, these people must have, you know, grown up on an ashram or something. This isn't for me, I don't have, but then I, something kind of, I, I, you know, I hung out long enough to say, if this practice is a true practice and a noble practice and a practice that leads people to the end of suffering, and I thought it was, they wouldn't discriminate. The practice would be just as good for a guy from Massapequa as it was for that person <laughs> who was in the lotus position halfway off the floor. I kind of knew that in the heart. All the Thai, most of the Thai ajans, you know, who were part of the forest tradition, when the forest tradition became uh, so strong in Thailand in the 20th century, most of them were farmers and peasants. It's not that hard. What's hard is that we lack conviction. We don't think we can do it, and that's what makes it so hard. One of my friends, George Mumford, uh, is a meditation teacher, and he teaches high-level athletes. You know, he worked with the Chicago Bulls for years with Michael Jordan. You know, and he said the thing about athletes at that level is they have complete conviction in their skills, and none of them would ever say that it's hard. It's like because they completely believe in everything. I mean, they have such a high level of confidence, complete confidence. Yeah, I mean, we're striving to develop conviction. We can use the example of the Buddha. He was a human being. He found a way out of suffering. As human beings, we can as well. The Buddha had a goodness. We have the same goodness. All beings have the same goodness. We all have a capacity for goodness. What we have to do is recognize that. This is how we develop conviction in ourselves. We see our goodness. You have to see it, to know it, like I talked about before. Know it in the heart, not an idea. Know that you have goodness in the heart. You know, meditation, the practice of meditation, is said to be the highest form of merit, example of our goodness. It is a profound expression of our goodness. Because what are we doing in meditation? We're training the mind. What are we doing in breath meditation? We're training the mind so that it has less desire and aversion and delusion in it and more love and compassion. What could be a greater manifestation of goodness in the world? I mean, this practice, doing this practice is an extraordinary expression of your goodness. I mean, think about coming here. You know, I mean, we really came here to develop our goodness. And what an extraordinary thing that is. I mean, we may not quite realize that. I mean, I kind of realize it pretty much completely, that you all have an understanding of your goodness, and you came here to develop it. You came here to develop your goodness. You do this practice to develop your goodness. I mean, I don't think anybody came here because you thought, you know, you're going to do better on your job. 
you know, or you're going to make more money. I mean, you, you, a lot of times people start off, and it's kind of some of it was like that for me, but you know, eventually you realize you have a goodness, and you realize that's the most important thing. I mean, everybody has that goodness within them. The only difference between you and other people is that you have some sense of it, and you're doing something about it. And that's just your good fortune. I mean, the way the Buddha described that is some beings have a little dust in their eyes, just a little dust in their eyes, and understand that what's in the heart is the most important thing that there is, and what you have in the heart you know, will lead you to happiness in this life. The goodness in your heart is what gives rise to your meditation. It's what got you here. So can we see that? That's my point here. Can you see that? Can you see that you have this goodness and you've come here to develop it? I, Like I said, I can see it in everybody here. Sometimes it's hard to see it in ourselves, but that's why you need me to badger you. Into, I always say, like, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm badgering people to love themselves and to know their goodness, you know? Can we see the truth of our goodness? That what you have, you know, that got you here is extraordinary. It's much deeper than what got you here and what leads you to do this practice is much deeper than just will. You can't do this just on will. I want to do this. There has to be something in the heart that's so deep. You know? And that's what it is, is your goodness. That you have that, and you know that you have it, and you want to develop it. I mean, your goodness is manifesting in every meditation. It's what enables you to get back to the breath. It's what brings you back to the breath. So we have conviction in the Buddha's awakening, which is really that the Buddha's awakening is the conviction that we have is that there's a way out of the darkness, that there's a way out of the darkness of suffering. How do we truly understand this and and really begin to develop deep understanding that there is a way out of suffering? You know what I'm going to say, breath meditation. It's through breath meditation. I talked about this last night. You know, in our practice, we come and we sit down in any sitting. You know, we come here and sit, you know, and we have this body, you know, and there's, 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 there's a lot of stress and suffering in this body that we've been carrying. We talked about this a lot last year, you know. Uh, you know, enough, we've been wandering and migrating and transmigrating on for, you know, lifetimes, suffering enough to shed tears that would fill all the oceans. You know, it's right there in the body, you know, and maybe some of it's subtle. It's just that contraction and that dissonance and that stress and that tightness and agitation in the body. See, that's what we start to see. You know, that's like seeing that suffering. That's like seeing that suffering. It's like you become real. That's why you have to develop that body awareness because you have to be sensitive to your suffering. 
we don't tell you that, you know? It's like first develop a lot of ease so then you can do the hard work of really looking at the suffering, you know? Because if there's some ease and well-being, then you don't mind looking at the suffering. So, you know, you, there's this suffering in the body. There's this stress, this disease, right? If you look, you know, it was all right there today. Some of it we may not have realized we were experiencing. So what we learn to do, of course, is there's suffering here. You know, it's like sometimes I come to sit down and it's like, man, I feel like crap. You know, what is this? I'm in a knot. I'm contract. We used to call them karmic knots. You know, it's like, it's like I'm, yeah, I'm in kind of like this pretzel. You know, I mean, it's very subtle, perhaps, but it's like, you know, well, like when we say, I don't feel good, you know, that's usually what it means, right? You know, there's dissonance, there's dis-ease in the body. We're not talking about like the dis-ease of, you know, eating too much ice cream or something, you know, disease, you know, there's this dis-ease and contraction. So what we learn to do, of course, is there's suffering there. There's suffering. I feel it in the chest, in the legs, in the arms, the contraction. And we take a step back, we say, well, there's suffering here within this body, but there's also a way out of this suffering. There's a way out of this suffering that I'm experiencing right now in this moment, in this sitting, maybe even sitting there in the chair. There's a way out of this when we look at this body. It's not conceptual. There's a real way out. Just like if you're out in the rain, there's a real way out into this warm hall tonight. There's a way out of what we're feeling here through the breath. It's right there. There's a place right here that I can go to. There's a way out of this pain. Put my mind on this refuge. Put my mind in this refuge. Put my mind in this good home for the mind. So we cultivate this easeful, pleasurable breath. This is what we're doing in concentration and the ability to stay right there. So we have this strong home for the mind. And we begin to see that we can do this. We can separate, it's like Ratan Jeff says, you know, separation, duality. There's suffering in the body, but there's the end of suffering. That's the practice. There's suffering and the end of suffering. You have a choice. Now, your ability to assert that choice, you know, and to maintain that home for the mind, you know, is going to depend on how much concentration you've developed. But, you know, everybody here has worked hard and you can stay with the breath even when there's disease for a certain period of time. So you've, you've, so long enough to know that there's a way out of suffering. Because that's what's happening there. You're finding a way out of suffering. So you have to have that perception. That's what's happening there. <coughs> it's all right there. It's right there. There's suffering and there's a place where there's no suffering. You could go to the heart, metta. Oh, there's no suffering here. You can do a double bonanza of non-suffering. It's like you go to the, you go to that place, and it's like you also feel the heart. Oh, there's love for me, for all beings. Life isn't so bad. There's a way out of all that pain. It's right here. It's right here. So we come to know the truth about this suffering. It's optional. We have other choices. We learn that in the breath meditation. We can make other choices. You know, there's doing that and there's that wisdom that happens in doing that 
when we have real wisdom and insight into the Four Noble Truths, that there's suffering and there's a way out of it. You, know, you begin to see that, and it's just that finger snap of like, ah, there is freedom from that pain. There is freedom from that suffering. <coughs> the suffering ends when we see that there's a way out of it, when we understand that there's a way out. You know, when we don't perceive there's a way out of suffering, just what I said before, that's what suffering really is. I mean, suffering is not knowing that there's a way out of the meaninglessness and despair and suffering of life. So we live a life in which we neglect our goodness. So we begin to know when we begin to find this refuge in the breath that there's a way out, that we can find a way out. In any moment, there's a way out. This is the truth. There is a way out of suffering. So we begin to know this truth. We begin to know this truth. We embrace this truth. We realize this in the heart. I you know, thought of the line from Camus. We talked about Camus a lot last year's retreat. You know, in the midst of winter, I found within me an invincible summer. It's right there. Maybe it's just a glimpse of summer. Just a glimpse of summer in the breath. But then we know. We know it's there. We know that there is true happiness. It's right there. It's just that we're not looking in the right place. So what I'm talking about is start to look in the right place. Start to look in the right place. You can, and it's just your experience. You know, you can go through the day. It's like, I hate this. I love that. I'm not doing this. That's not working. You know, but there's also true happiness is right there. If you look, it's right there. Can you turn to that? There may be disease in the body, but true happiness is right there. There's a way out of suffering that's right there. You can find it right there in the breath. So look, pay attention. In any moment, you'll see that it's true. So let's just close our eyes for a second. 